Good morning, everybody. Can you hear me? It's funny, I'm having a bit of a problem this morning. They always tell you you need broad shoulders for this. They didn't tell you about your ears. My ears are sort of failing to hold my glasses, my hearing aids, and the microphone. So should we have a failure of sound? That's partly my ears that's the problem. Um, And whilst on the subject of apologies, I I don't know whether anybody else uses the... uh, I haven't got enough room here. I'll put it over there. Um, Uses the daily reading, uh, UCB word for today. I've used this a lot since I became a Christian. It's been amazing. Actually, I've, I've reflecting on it this morning, just sitting there. I probably wouldn't. We probably wouldn't even be in Southampton if it hadn't been for this. Um, but I, I, so I don't use it religiously, as they say. I, you know, I, I dip in it. But I've got a bit of a bad habit. I have to confess to recently, is I like to read ahead sometimes. <laughs> it's a bit cheeky, really, because it's not really a prophetic document. But. Um, I have to confess that this week, while I was preparing, I've been in Germany, and I was just doing final preparation, I read across to Sunday, and the title was Don't Try to Please Everybody. So if you're everybody, I apologize now. Okay, so let's get out of the way. But no, seriously, on that matter, I was quite encouraged last week, actually, hearing John talk about um, how, it, how we sort of think we've heard it all before. We, we can get into a mode, oh, I've heard it all before, uh, and... And actually, sometimes we need to be challenged and, and actually just look at it from a different way. And it may not be the right way, but it actually might give us a different aspect and a different view. So, so to try and do that, and I was reading a, an article recently uh, where they quoted some Greek philosopher, Epictetus or something his name was. I've never heard of him before. But, um, and he talks about, and he says, you cannot learn what you think you already know. If you go into a situation you think you know it, you won't come out with anything different. He talks about you cannot learn if you believe there's nothing left for you to learn. Um, what if you know what if what you know is one of many possibilities and there are some that are better than others or could be further enhanced. So so as we go through today, you know, actually I'm gonna push some places which you know you might not expect, but but go with it and see where, where, where the spirit might might lead us on that. So I'm gonna start with a long word if it works. Syncretistic. Uh, apparently, I've got a bit of reputation for long words and things like that, which is a, a bit of a one of God's jokes, I think. Because before I became a Christian, I hardly even wrote, wrote or write or read. I was an engineer who just did technical things, and then I started studying theology, and I've got into all this stuff. So I think God has a bit of amusement. So syncretistic. I learned this word in home group. I, Louise, she's here, but uh, the first week of this session, she, she the home group notes. Well, brilliant, because it led me to this word, and it really, really challenged me. And I say, if you're part of a home group, it's great. And if you're not, become one, because it's really powerful. Because all we can really do up the front here is, is just open this a little bit and say, wow, isn't that? And then we shut it again. And actually, the home group, the way we work through this stuff together, material, allows you to go, do you know, does that mean that? Does it? And to challenge it and start to challenge so synchronistic, uh, if you've got any interest in it at all, I think it's 19 in Scrabble. And then I thought, before I went away to Germany, I thought I'd set my son Oliver a little challenge to ask him how much he thought he could score with the word synchronistic in Scrabble. Anybody, he got a guess. So it's worth 19 on its own. Anybody guess what he thinks he might have scored? Any Scrabble experts? Come on. A number? Ray? Hmm? 60, 100, 200? Hmm? 57. 
I'll give you a clue, don't play Scrabble against Oliver. He managed to score 225. How did he do that? That word polymerization down the left, add an S to the end of that on a triple word score, with synchronicity across the bottom, is a score of 225. <laughs> don't play Scrabble against Oliver. If I, I don't know if he's here. Is he here this morning? I can't see him. He's probably still in bed. So, right. But what's this word about? Why am I talking about the word syncretistic? Well, when we looked at the beginning of Colossians, Louise invited us to have a look and see what it was like in Colossae at the time. And this word sprung out of the, of the Bible dictionary I was looking at. It said, it said syncretistic environment that these Colossians were in. And I thought, I've never heard that word before. What does that mean? So I looked it up in a dictionary and found out that it meant that they were in a very multi-religious environment. There's this synchronization of their religions going on and they're trying to sort of line things up. And it suddenly struck me as I prepared for this, parish, this, this passage, as we start to see what Paul's sort of challenging them on, it doesn't seem that bad. It doesn't seem like some great false teachings going on. And what it occurred to me is actually maybe there's a bit of enthusiastic, over-enthusiastic Christianity going on. Maybe they're thinking, we're in this mush of all these other religions and we want to stand out as different. We want to be seen. We're going to follow the Sabbath. We're gonna, not gonna eat this food that you're all gonna eat. We're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna do this. We're gonna be really humble. And so actually you see this going on and you think actually maybe that's what's going on. And of course we live in a culture of masses of different religions and different things. And actually maybe Paul's actually saying to us, you know, these things are not the things that make you a Christian. They're not the things, he's not necessarily saying they're, they're particularly bad things. We go through, so food and drink, festivals. He sort of say, actually, you don't need rules about these things. And then he talks about not part of the body. Again, you know, home groups, it all takes you part of the, part of the body. Um, and, then, and then he talks about humility. And it's quite interesting in the text because they talk about this false humility. And you might find other, other references that say taking pleasure in humility. So what's Paul doing? Paul's not saying that humility is bad. It's actually taking pleasure in humility. And humility is an interesting thing, actually. I, I, I always wonder what it, you know, you think about what it means and you think about humble, oh, I'm very humble. And often we take humble to mean we pretend God doesn't exist. You know, actually we can take humility to that level. But I was at Big Church Day Out a few weeks ago, a month ago, um, listening to a, to, a, to, to a lady I'd not heard play before, uh, an Audrey Assad, just an American lady, just plays on a piano. Uh, amazing songs. Uh, she sits there with a beanie hat and she was very pregnant. I don't know how she got from America. She looked like she was going to have a baby in a minute. But, um, but she plays these songs and she was playing a song about Psalm 23 and about humility. And she started talking about it in this venue we're in. It's just a quiet venue. And she said, well, you know, she'd come to a conclusion that humility was agreeing with God. I thought, oh, I like that. I like that. And then, as I sat there, I really felt the Spirit ask me another question. Well, whoa, and I wasn't so sure about it, but we, we just sort of come back and just bear that because humility, I think, is really important in this passage. I don't know why. Even just sitting there a moment ago, I thought humility is quite significant in here. So, so we'll imagine I'm agreeing with God, and we'll just think on that uh, and come back to it. And then the final thing I want to pick up on this on this list here about is talks about Sabbath. 
So as Paul, we can take this passage and think Paul's sort of throwing the Sabbath out. And he's saying, um, you know, he says religious festivals judge you on the Sabbath or whatever. Well, does Paul throw the Sabbath out? Well, like Jesus actually says, you know, is the Sabbath created to you or are you created for the Sabbath? And actually what he's saying is the Sabbath is important, but following the Sabbath is not what it is to be a Christian. In a sense, actually, following the Sabbath is what it is to be a human. Whether that be whatever day of the week it is, it's not why I do that. And, and, it's, and it's a challenge. And it's not like it, we don't follow it religiously, but we need rest. We don't do seven days in a row. In our household, we try and do things like we try and leave the internet switched off on a Sunday because our Sabbath doesn't always work because somebody's usually got homework. But it just helps to break the week make this day a bit different and two weeks ago I missed my Sabbath completely because I had to get a bathroom finished my in-laws coming to stay and I realised it was a bit of a lesson for me on this by Monday and Tuesday I was wasted I just couldn't function so, so I don't think Paul is saying oh just ignore the Sabbath Paul's saying the Sabbath isn't what it makes you a Christian the Sabbath is just actually you don't work seven days in a row humanity don't function like that but don't treat it as a badge. Oh, I, I, I'm a Sabbath follower. I must be a, a, a Christian. So, so Paul is actually challenging this thing, set of rules. He's saying, actually, you've created a set of rules here in Colossae. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. We're going to do the other. And, of course, rules give us this appearance of making things simple. We like rules. I mean, my business in aviation is about aviation safety, and we love rules. I mean, if you sit on a flight deck of an aeroplane, they will have a book as thick as this with checklists. And every time they have to do anything, they'll turn to the page and they'll go, do this, do this, do this, do this. this." And some of them they have to memorise because it's so important. And we love rules, but it gives us a bit of a false sense of security. And of course, we're subject to rules all the time. If we drive a car out on the roads, so you can just see that, it's very difficult, but we know what it is. The rule is 30 miles an hour is the speed limit. That's the rule we have to follow. So, you know, we like think that's great and simple. We've got another rule here. There's a 40-mile-an-hour limit. Oh, that's easy. That's fine. Oh, then we've got this one. What does this one mean? Well, it depends, doesn't it? Oh, so now my rule's not quite as simple as it was because now I have to know what road I'm on. And I've got children learning to drive, and I'm usually getting it wrong, going, oh, it's 60 here. And they go, no, it's 70, Daddy. Oh, okay, sorry. But, you know, so we, we, we have to start interpreting that. So we have a rule, but it's not so easy to follow. And then what about this? What does this sign mean? You can't even see one, can you? But actually, that is a rule that says the speed limit is 30 miles an hour. It's a built-up area, there's a house, and there's traffic, and there's street lamps, and there's no speed limit signs. It means there's a 30 miles an hour. So rules aren't actually as simple as they say. You know, Paul's saying, you can create these set of rules, but what do they mean, and how do they help you? How do they get to where you, where you think? Um, and as I say, aviation is the same. We, we get a set of rules. And our problem now is when the person gets to the end of the set of rules and he's still got the problem, he goes, well, I don't know. Nobody told me, taught me to make any decisions. Now what do I do? But don't worry, it's safe to fly. Don't, don't get scared. <laughs> <clears throat> it doesn't happen very often. Our rules are very good. It's just that they don't always make it. Um... And so, so, you know, as it is with following Christ. And so if I was, I've been in Germany this week, if I was in Germany in a car and I met one of these signs, does anybody know what this means? It's de-restricted, like our de-restricted. But in Germany, that would put you on the autobahn. 
So if you're on the autobahn, does anybody know what the speed limit is? There isn't one. How fast can you drive? Can you drive as fast as you like? Actually, no, you can't, interestingly enough. Well, well, you can, but it's not quite as easy. And what they've done is they've taken away the decision-making from themselves and they've handed it to you. And they said, well, here you go. We're not going to set a speed limit, but we're going to give you a recommendation that this is a good speed to drive at. There's a recommended speed. But you can drive as fast as you like. But should you have an accident and you be driving above this speed, then we're going to say, do you know what? You didn't really be doing that. That wasn't very good. So you're not guilty of driving too fast, but you're guilty of not having respect for the safety of the road and everything else. So in a sense, they've taken away. They, they sort of take, oh, we'll take the rules away. And there you go. And I think actually it's really similar to Christ. This is what Paul's doing. Paul's saying, you can create all these rules, but it isn't going to work for you. In the end, you're going to follow them, and then you're going to go, and you're going to step straight off into a hole. Because that wasn't on the map. That wasn't on the list. That wasn't there uh, when we, we started them. We need to find our way. And, of course, it's, it's challenging finding your way. Sometimes you... you you don't always get it right. I, I, was quite, I wore this the other week, but I was going to wear it today, but I thought it put you off. Um, this is a T-shirt I've got. And for those listening at home in black and white, it says, mistakes are proof that you are trying. And it's a good T-shirt. The funny thing about the T-shirt is it was given to me. My wife gave it to me. <laughs> I still haven't worked out why, but I'm quite pleased with it because it's true. And actually, it's a challenge. We set off on the autobahn, and we have to make a decision. And, and Paul is, is, is saying, yeah, actually, you know, these rules don't help you. They create fear. I mean, I don't know about you. I drive on the road, and if I don't know what the speed limit is, I'm just so scared. I'm thinking, is there a camera? Is it 30? Is it 40? You know, I'd be driving at 20 just in case. Because I don't know. Oh, it's 30. I carry on. Actually, we create fear rather than decision-making. I could run somebody over while I'm trying to work out what the speed limit is. Nobody would mind. But, and actually, what we need is that decision-making that we're doing. And, and I say I believe it's the same with, with following Christ. You know, we have, and this is a monument of the Ten Commandments, they have all these lists, and Paul's saying, actually, these rules you've got, they're not working. Look, Israel, look. You know, these Jewish people, we're not doing it. We're not cutting it well. Jesus was forever pushing, pushing the Pharisees and going, you said this, 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 and this, but it's rubbish. Look at you. Look at the inside of you. Look at where you are. You followed every rule in the book. And yet, are you following God? Are you really there for God? No, he challenges that. You know, Paul is a teacher of freedom. And there's a great irony, I think. Studying Paul, I used to struggle with Paul, and then I had to study him in my course. And it really released me, because once I dug into where Paul was, I think there's a huge irony in the way we treat Paul's teachings. Paul's heart is about freedom. This passage is about, stop following all these rules, what you eat, what you do, whatever. He said, just follow Christ. And there's a great irony, because we replace all these, Paul dishes all this stuff, and then we as a church, in our desire for rules, not for any negative reason, but we need some boundaries... We create a new set of rules. What do you wear? Who you marry? What you allow women to do or you don't allow women to do? We create all these rules. And Paul would be going, did I, I just know what I meant. Actually, follow Christ. Let the Spirit of God guide you in each and every one of these decisions. Be free 
to follow Christ. And I believe that, I really believe that's Paul's heart. And it released me to read Paul in a new way. To start to say, Paul, oh, actually, yeah, this is your problem. You're dealing with it. And this is your solution. But actually, it's our job to deal with each and every one of those things as it comes. This monument I put up, I don't know if anybody recognizes it. It's been in the news quite recently. Anybody know? Well, it was put up in, I'm not very good at American name places, but I think it's Arkansas. And 24 hours after it was put up, a man called Michael Tate Reed crashed his car into it. Very unfortunate accident, clearly. Or maybe not. Because Mr. Michael Tate Reed had three years previously crashed his car into a similar monument in Memphis. There's a thing going on here. And then the addition to it was he posted on his Facebook feed a video of him driving towards the monument shouting, Freedom! As he crashed into it. And I do, I had this humorous thought of actually Paul sitting in the back seat egging him on. Yeah, go for it, go for it. Smashes into this monument. So, yeah, there's a freedom in Paul's teaching, and we need to grasp that. It's difficult. It makes it hard. We're going to make mistakes. But we could follow the rules and make no mistakes, but we'd still be entirely wrong. That's sort of what Paul's saying to us. It creates this sense of security, and we could just palm through through and and, and find ourselves in in the wrong place. But as we look at this passage, we get to a little bit of a problem. We get to a bit of a challenge because he goes on about freedom to human rules. And then he says it's no high. It doesn't restrain you. And he talks about humility again. And then in three, he says, he goes on to three, five. He then starts his great list. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed. He starts us on a new list. And we say, well, what are you doing, Paul? Is this a new list? Is this a new set of rules? Well, what I'd like to just think about is the idea of this autobahn of following Christ. So when I set out on the autobahn, if you're a car driver, what do I need to know to decide what speed to drive at? Because nobody's told me the rules. Nobody's given me a list. So what's my decision making? I have to think, what's my capability? How fast does my car go? More importantly, how fast does my car stop? Can my car go around the corner at 200 miles an hour, or do I need to be going at 50 miles an hour to get around that corner? What are the hazards around me? What is it I'm going to be on my way that I need to know about to decide to drive? If I'm going to turn around this corner and there's going to be a school spilling out on the road, I probably don't want to be doing 180 kilometers an hour because it's going to get messy. I need to know about those hazards. I need to think about those things. I think of need, the needs of others. There's things on the way. What am, how am I going to handle the things that I'm going to meet? And I think that's what Paul is doing for us here. He gives us this big long list. Sexual immorality. That word, there's an irony in that word. The Greek word that sexual immorality is the word we use for pornography. You know, Paul was well ahead of us when he saw this stuff coming. Actually, you know, we've dragged that in. Uncleanliness, lustful passion, evil desire. These are the hazards Paul's saying, you need to know about these things. I can't give you a set of rules that tells you how not to lie or how not to be abusive language or what anger means. You know, we see anger in the Bible. We can't say, don't be angry. Actually, but it's a hazard, it's a risk. What are you prone to? 
What's your susceptibility to on that list? What are your capabilities? And what are your hazards? What are the situations that take you into places where evil desire is a risk to you? Are you prone to rage? Do you get angry? Are you greedy? Do you need to keep away from certain things? Paul's saying, this is how you steer this journey. You just need to know what it is out there and you need to make decisions. You need to be aware and then you can steer this autobahn. You can do this without some fixed set of rules, without a checklist in a flight deck. But there's dangers out there, lots of them. We are humans. We've died in Christ, but we are still what we are and we've got to steer our way through that. And Paul is giving us these warning signs. He's giving us these hazards. But also, just to finish off, actually, to follow in Christ is the heart of it. If we want to know how to desire, we need to know where we're going. And Paul's saying Christ is where you're going. Following Christ is where you are going. How do we do that? Well, we need to, to know Christ. We need to see him. And Paul puts us in this place in verse 4. And Christ, who is your life, appears, and you also appear with him in glory. Now, I've puzzled on this passage and there's a, there's a real reason I'm puzzled on it, because the next paragraph starts, therefore. So all these warning signs come just after therefore. And therefore means go back and read the previous passage, the previous paragraph, because it means there's something about this connected. So what's going on here? Where, I was really challenged. In the first week, um, Louise did start in Colossians. She asked us a question. She asked a question that said, and we, we invited us to, to, to read this passage, but to gaze on Christ. And I, it's like, I sat there, gaze on Christ. And I wrote it in my journal at the time, and, and I, I had the most weird answer at that moment. And I shared it with somebody. I can't remember if I shared it with somebody I shared it at the time. What does he look like? And then the question to answer that question was, look in a mirror until you can see me. Now, four weeks ago when that happened, I was quite easy, relaxed. What's going on here? I don't understand what you mean. But actually, when you start to look through Paul in these passages, in his whole letter, where's Christ? Christ is in them. As John preached last week, the heart of this gospel in Colossians is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Where's Christ? Well, in you. So where would you look for Christ? In you, you'd look for Christ in, in, in each other and in yourself. So it started to make sense. It doesn't feel any easier. But actually, where would I look to see Christ in others? And I've just realized I'm standing up here and I sent Richard an email that he probably never even got. There you go. That's, uh, yeah. I was going to ask Richard to share a testimony about you gave it Alpha. I'm aware of the time. Are you happy for me to share? Or are you happy to come and do it? About meeting Jesus? I'll do I, I, so, so basically, I, I was going to share. This is how disorganized I am. Um, I was going to ask Richard, because going to Alpha was great, because you get to hear people's stories, you get to talk and share. And I was really blessed once hearing Richard talk about coming to faith. And I'll probably get this wrong, and you have to ask Richard afterwards for the proper version, but... He talked about praying one day, I think as a student, 
Lord, reveal yourself to me. And what happened was, I think it was um, a lady. Yeah, come up. Go for it. I can find a microphone. I should have checked my email I got there. I should have checked for a response, really. Yeah, go I for it. I only read my emails on Sundays, unfortunately. So, um. I so, sent uh, it on Tuesday. <laughs> sort of that. She sent it Saturday. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I, uh, I was a student um, when I became a Christian. I was 18 years old. And I remember being quite miserable as a student because I really wasn't... Student life wasn't really what I expected it to be. It wasn't um, full of all the glories and the excitement you expect from student life. And I think in my life, I've always seeking God in some ways, but never actually finding God. So I remember praying, and uh, as a student, God, please reveal yourself to me. And uh, I, I was studying up in northwest London, and... Uh, Occasionally visits my parents in Portsmouth. So I always travel through London. And uh, I was in London one day in the coach station. And this young man came up to me and said, can I share a scripture with you? And naturally I would probably say no. Uh, and I, I decided to, uh, to say yes. And uh, he said to me, I, I got baptized last weekend. And I only, I only know one scripture, but let me share it with you. And uh, so great. I was getting a bit worried by this stage with some lunatic. And uh, he, I, he shared the scripture with me. And, uh, and I think at that point, some of the scales from my eyes were lifted. I thought God has really approached me and revealed himself to me. Um, and then I studied the Bible for the next few weeks. And, and it, there was one moment I was... I studied the Bible with a friend from church. We studied John chapter 1, where it talks about Jesus being the Word. And I read it in, in the bus on the way back to Portsmouth. And that was the moment where I, I, I met God. Everything became clear to me, and that was, could argue that was my conversion. But um, I think this is a it's just a great example where if you pray, God will come and meet you. Uh, and if you don't think that can happen, then just pray harder. And God, God, will, God will get you. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you for that. There we go. That's, you see, God can cover our mistakes there. Yeah? I should have been more organized and checked. But, uh, but that's the heart of it. Actually, when he praises God, reveal yourself. What happens? Somebody walks up to him and says, let me share a scripture with you. It struck me. Where was Jesus at that moment? It was in that person who stood out and said, here you go, do you want to know this? And look where it's led to. So, so there's something in that. And, and, and this bit of passage, I'm really aware of the time, but this bit of passage, it puzzled me because when you read all the commentaries, or most of the commentaries, they will put this in, the, in an eschatological, I can't even say it, eschatological place. They will put it at the rapture. They will say, when Jesus is revealed, you will be revealed in glory. Which is fine, yes, that's true, but what's the therefore about then? Am I just going to drive through life and when I get the garage I'm going to park behind it and walk through and there's going to be a shiny new model? Or is actually there something going on that Paul is calling us to? That's why we need to know about these hazards. Paul is calling us to reflect Christ now. Paul is calling us for Christ to be revealed in us now. 
as well as in our ultimate revelation. And the word used, the, the word is actually in our, in our versions here, they, they translate it to appeared. The word phanaru in Greek is also often translated to revealed. And you will read some translations of this that say when Jesus is revealed in your life, then your life will be revealed. So what's our role? What's our place in revealing Christ? And so, just going back, so the question really is, does our life reveal Christ? Are we revealing Christ to those around us? Are we revealing Christ to our families? Are we taking awareness of these hazards and doing our best? And I, I, I can't do the positive bit. Someone's doing that next week. And Paul goes on to a lot of positive stuff about how to help us on that. But as we move towards that next week, think about how our lives re- reveal Christ. And just one thing, I said I'd come back to this humility question. I want to come back to it now. I know that challenge of is humility us agreeing with God. I felt actually the Spirit say, what if humility was God agreeing with you? Oh. Again, that's a bit uneasy. But as my, I've got four children, two of them have been away for a year. And when they come back home, you realise as a parent that actually that is your desire. Your desire is not that your children will go off and follow a set of rules. Because we're going to struggle to create enough rules to look after our children for the rest of their lives. So is our desire that they would do what we tell them to do? Well, that's tricky as well, because they're hundreds of miles away and they're making decisions all the time. Actually, our heart's desire, and I believe it's God's heart's desire, is that our decisions will be those that God says, yes, I agree with that. Yes, that is Christ. Yes, my good and faithful servant. That's good. And that is what Christ in us, I believe, looks like. So, thank you.